You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. Enjoy this exciting message from Senior Pastor Robin McMillan. My goal for us today is for each one of us to understand that we can access the abundance of heaven. The kingdom of heaven's at hand. That was Jesus' primary message, and he would often say, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. We know repentance involves turning from sin, but the basis for the word repentance means to think a different way, think a new way. So to understand what I see um, that God has done for us in our ability to access heaven and the things God has for us, we need to understand, number one, we need to understand Jacob's ladder. We need to understand that heaven is open. Somebody say heaven is open. Heaven is open to us with all its abundance. And number three, that being born again or being born from above or born from heaven, all of those are interchangeable and meanings of uh, the Bible there in John 3. It makes us eligible to access that abundance as we exercise faith. So that's my premise uh, this morning. I believe by the end of our four-hour and 30-minute message today, we will all be able to exercise some faith for some very specific things you or someone you know might need. So I want to look at Jacob's ladder. And to do that, we need to go to Genesis chapter 28. I don't want to spend too much time over there. But Jacob had um, purchased his brother's birthright and stolen his blessing. Isn't, aren't our spiritual forefathers remarkable people? Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, that, that, was, that was Jacob. And um, Esau wanted to kill him, so his father recommended that he run away. And so he's going to his uncle, I believe it's Laban's house, and we find Jacob en route in Genesis 28. And so let me read and tell you what happened to him. Verse 11 of chapter 28 of Genesis. So Jacob came to a certain place and he stayed there all night because the sun had set. And he took one of the stones of that place, put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven, and there the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord God stood above it and said, I'm the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. And he makes the great messianic promise of into your seed, um, all the fam- in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Then the Lord says this to him in verse 15, Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have spoken what I, I have done, what I have spoken to you. Verse 16, Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. Let me read that again. Surely... The Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. 
That's what it is to have a true spiritual awakening. To know that wherever you are, when you literally or when you, when you wake up in a spiritual sense, you will discover, though you did not know it, God is in that very place. That was one of the things Jacob discovered. And he was afraid, and he said, how awesome is this place? And then he says some strange things that are hard to grasp. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. And so there's some unusual things that go on here. I want to talk about a couple of them. But one thing happened was Jacob says at the end of this encounter, he calls the name of that place Bethel. But the name of that city had been Lutz previously. And that's a remarkable thing where you can have an encounter with God and something so remarkable happens to you that you can actually rename an area of the world without consulting any of the inhabitants, any of the council members, no mayors, no governors. You just proclaim it, and that's the name of that place from there on out. So something significant happened to Jacob that night that has implications that reach much farther than his own life. So here's what we find. We find that a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to heaven. We find that angels were ascending and descending. And my idea is they were seeing what the world needed. They were going up. They were accessing it on the world's behalf bringing it back down here and releasing whatever they found to anyone who had any idea that could actually happen. Now, most of it happened to people like the prophets, people that were had some kind of a profound encounter with the Lord. Nevertheless, there was a ladder, there was an access point, even during the days of Jacob, where people could access what was going on in heaven for their daily lives. In verse 16, Jacob says this, and this is one of the most Marvelous ideas. God is in this place, and I did not know it. He also says, this is an awesome place. That means it's a place of the presence of God. He called it the house of God and the gate of heaven. So I'm going to make a few preliminary John chapter 3 conclusions here. And this would make a great message, really, and we could probably just go on home. We'd be good, but we're not. Here's the conclusion. Even in Jacob's day, heaven could be accessed. God was near. The house of God, what we currently call the church, Jacob said, is the gate of heaven. That means every church ought to be an entryway for what goes on in heaven to be released in the earth. The house of God is the gate of heaven, Jacob said early on. Now, this is so significant because this is the first time in all Scripture that term house of God is mentioned. And the idea in, in, a, in Bible interpretation is the first place something is mentioned, some of its most profound insights and, and um, revelations are there. So we should say this, the house of God is the gate of heaven. It's a place of access if you perceive it to be. If you don't perceive it to be, it's not. But there was a point where Jacob had to come to this conclusion. I didn't know it before, but I know it now. God is in this place. And when his perception changed, 
His experience changed. I'm going to tell you, your experience doesn't change before your perception. David said, I believed to see the goodness of God in the land of the living. He had to believe to see it. It's a place of access if you perceive it. It's a place of angelic activity, supernatural events and episodes. It's a place of God's presence. We find that in that one simple phrase when Jacob says, how awesome is this place? He could have said, how fearful is this place? Anybody ever been in, in such a manifest presence of God, you got scared? Man, I did. I was preaching a meeting down in uh, Hartsville years ago, and the Lord showed up. I got so scared. I was leading the meeting. I got so scared. I told the pastor, I'm going home. I just walked out and went home. Because we talk about what we want, and then when we get it at a certain level, are we really ready for it? But no, there's a reality to the tangible experience of the presence of the Lord. That's what church ought to be. It ought to be where people say, not because of the building, not because of the people, not maybe because of the preaching, not even because of the worship, but because of the presence of God. They say, how awesome is this place? Come on. That's what we're after. So we see Jacob's encounter with God at a place he renames as Bethel or Bethel. Now, Jesus is Jacob's ladder. And I say that because of some verses we find in John chapter 1, verses 50 and 51. Uh, Jesus has an encounter with a man named Nathaniel. And Jesus has a word of knowledge or some kind of a profound insight that accurately describes what kind of person Nathaniel is, and he tells Nathaniel that, and Nathaniel is so shook, he decides Jesus is the Messiah. I'm going to tell you, Jesus can change some stuff in a hurry, can't he? And so when Nathaniel says, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel, over that one small encounter, Jesus says this, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? you will see greater things than these. And he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, I have read this text for many, many years. And about 15 years ago, I began to understand things a little bit differently, maybe 20 years I thought Nathaniel would have an encounter where he had a vision and he saw heaven open. But Jesus was not saying that at all. Jesus was saying to Nathaniel, Nathaniel, from this point on, you will see that heaven's gates are open wide to the entire world, to everyone who can believe and access what's there. You're going to see that heaven's open. Now, God has a, has a few um, interesting habits. He's the God that shuts doors that no man can do what? Open. But he's also the God that can open doors that no man can shut. I didn't mean to get into this, but it's so interesting I have to. In Revelation chapter 3, there's a closed door. 
In Revelation chapter 4, there's an open door. In Revelation chapter 3, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and... Where's that door? It's on the church. Jesus is knocking on a door that is closed on a church. But in Revelation 4, the Bible says, And I saw a, a door open in heaven, and I heard a voice speak to me, and it said, Come up here. Well, it doesn't say he saw the door opening. He saw that the door was open. And so our relationship with Jesus, and I hope we can see this clearly, um, heaven and earth are like two adjoining hotel rooms. You got that picture? The word's full of pictures, and I've got a word picture that will help you. How many doors are there between adjoining hotel rooms? Two. Two doors. The earth hotel room door is closed, the heaven hotel room door is open, and Jesus is doing what? But the door in uh, the earth isn't really closed unless it's closed in your understanding because that door can't be closed unless you believe it's closed because God opens doors no man can shut. So Jesus makes this bold assertion that Nathaniel would see that heaven is open, John 1, 51, meaning that the abundance of heaven is open to each of us. Jesus claimed to be that ladder or that access point between heaven and earth. Another translation, actually the Passion Translation, says, from now on you will all see an open heaven and gaze upon the Son of Man like a stairway reaching into the sky with the messengers of God climbing up and down upon him. And so here's an idea about Jacob's ladder. I want to give you a little word picture. What is a ladder? A ladder is a vehicle of access in two places at the same time, where you are and where you want to be. Well, in this context, Jacob's ladder, part of it's in the earth, and it accesses the heavens. Then we, then we discover in John 1, 51, that Jesus claims to be that ladder. Jesus claims to be that access point. How many of you have believed on Jesus and have received him? That ladder is inside you now. You are both where you are and where you want to be. What? <laughs> Well, the Bible says we're seated in heavenly places. I decided one time, this story probably get me in trouble, but it'd probably be worth it. I was sitting out on my deck, and I saw that thing about being seated in the heavens. And I thought, okay, I'm seated in the heavens. Okay, here I am. I'm seated in the heavens. Guess what happened? Nothing. And then it's like I overheard a conversation between the two angels, and here's how it went. One angel said to the other one, and I was hearing this in my, in my mind, have you seen Robin McMillan up here? And the other angel says, yes, but he acts like he doesn't know where he is. What does that mean? It means we have been given a place of access that we have to learn how to use. Is everybody with me so far? Is this too far? Anybody? Okay, good, good, good. Um, 
That ladder is inside us. Now, so Jesus tells Nathaniel, you're going to see heaven, heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending. What he was saying is you're going to see that I'm the person that has access to heaven. Now, many of you probably do not know this, but in my study, I discovered that Nathaniel was from Cana of Galilee. And when Jesus went to the wedding at Cana of Galilee, he took all his disciples with him. And when they're at the wedding at Cana of Galilee, what happened? They ran out of wine. And so Jesus turned between 120 and 150 gallons of water into wine after people had already had sufficient wine to probably not even realize how great Jesus' wine really was. That's all, all, there, all there in the text. Um, here's what happened. Jesus told Nathaniel, you're going you're to see that heaven's open. Then he demonstrated to him the abundance of heaven by the turning of that water into wine at that wedding. He saw that heaven was open. Where did that wine come from? I believe it came from heaven. Okay, let's do this. Let's go to John chapter 3. And I want us to read this together because I am going to probably say a few things you're not used to. Is that okay? Everybody all right? Okay, good. Why don't we stand and read this together? So Nicodemus shows up to investigate Jesus. And here's the story. Let's go. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, pretty, pretty crazy question Nicodemus came up with. Jesus answered, most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone. Stop right there. What are those last three words? So is everyone who was born of the Spirit. You're going to look at that in a minute. Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, 
How will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, who is in heaven. What did verse 13 say? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who... Interesting, interesting. Okay. Just prior to Nicodemus' visit to Jesus, here's what was going on. We find in John 2.23 in the Weiss translation, which is an expanded translation of the New Testament. Now, when he was in Jerusalem at the Passover feast, that was Jesus, many put their trust in his name, carefully observing with a purposeful interest and a critical and a discerning eye his attesting miracles which he was constantly performing. When you read through the New Testament and you read about all the miracles of Jesus, what you actually see, if you counted the days each of all of those episodes represented, you would basically only see 30 specific days in the life of Jesus. And so if you think those 30 days were the miracle ministry of Jesus, you would be wrong. He was a walking, talking, miracle-working man. No one had ever seen anything at all like his ministry. Now, Nicodemus was a teacher of Israel. He was a member of the Jewish Sanhedrin. And he was responsible to investigate anyone of prominence who could lead Israel astray. And so he wanted to know how Jesus could do what he was doing. Jesus was a virtual unknown. He was not a Levite. He was not a priest. Well, he was a priest, but they didn't understand. He was Melchizedek. That's another story. He did not come up through their ranks or schools in Jerusalem. So here's where we are. When you look at John chapter 3, and when you consider the implications of being born again, we, we need to understand this. We need to understand the question Nicodemus was asking, or we won't understand the answer Jesus gave him. Now, years ago, I was riding down the highway. I was going to um, a summer camp, Morningstar had for new ministry school students. And on the side of um, a barn, there was a big piece of plywood, and on it, it said, you must be born again to go to heaven when you die. Now, I believe you must be born again to go to heaven when you die. There's no question about that. But the only problem was that was not the question Nicodemus was asking Jesus. It never even shows up in the conversation. What question was Nicodemus asking Jesus? He was saying, how do you do these things? And Jesus was basically saying, to do these things, you must be like me, born from heaven to perceive the kingdom. Like me, you must be born from heaven to access or enter the kingdom. So we're going to see this. John 3, 1 through 3, when we talk about um, Nicodemus's original discussion, we find that in verse 1, um, 
he came to Jesus by night, actually verse 2, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again or born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. I used to think that meant you couldn't see heaven till you died. But the word see is the same word translated in a preliminary verse. It's translated no. In verse 2, this man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that your teacher come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus immediately answers and says, I say to you, unless one is born again, he can't know the kingdom of God. It's perception. It's about perceiving a realm you haven't perceived yet. It's like Jacob at Bethel who goes from a wanderer to a person who suddenly discovers God is here and I did not Know it. So the word know in verse 2 is the same exact word see in verse 3. The same word is translated two different ways in two consecutive verses. The word eido, ido, means to see, to perceive with the eyes, to perceive by any of the senses. It basically means to notice, discern, or discover. In essence, Nicodemus said to Jesus, we know you're a teacher come from God. No one can do these things unless you are. And Jesus' immediate response was, Nicodemus, you can't know the realm of the kingdom of God unless you're born again. Now, years ago, I was not very good in math. How many of you struggle with math? I'm so grateful you do. At given points in studying math, suddenly... I would understand something I didn't understand before. And I would go, oh, now I, now I see. Oh, now I see. Okay, so Jesus is saying, if you want to perceive the realm from which I operate, you must be born from that realm to see it or perceive it. All right, in John 3, 5, Jesus says this. Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So there are two issues I want to look at. Born of water in the spirit and enter the kingdom. But the word enter means to access. So you have to be born of water and of the spirit to access that realm. Well, what does that mean? Well, some people think born of water is baptism. Well, when you're baptized, you don't get born again. I believe born of water means you've been born into this realm. When uh, prior to the birth of a child, the mother's water breaks. I believe that's what that's talking about, born of water and being born of the spirit. Now, you might think, well, why, what difference does that make? Well, to have authority in a certain country, what's the singular most important requirement? Citizenship. Basic citizenship, although you can gain citizenship, basic citizenship comes from where you're born. Now, here's what I believe Jesus was saying. The realm of the heavens is only available to people who have been born two ways, of water in the earth and of the spirit from the heavens. It makes you um, 
a bilocational man. It makes you hold or woman. It, it gives you dual citizenship. You have authority and rights in both realms. And you might not think that's important, but it is important because when you look at the Garden of Eden, what was Satan after when he began to confront Adam and Eve? He was after their authority because since demons and devils have not been born in the earth, they don't have authority in the earth. They're looking for people through whom they can express their authority by stealing that person's authority. And so Jesus comes to Nicodemus and he says these two things. Nicodemus, if you want to do what I do, you need to be born from that realm. And when you are, you will perceive it and you will be able to access it. Born of water, born of the spirit. Now I want to look at um, verse 8. Verse 8 says, the wind blows where it wishes. And you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. So verse 8, if you're born of the Spirit, you are just like the wind. How are you like the wind? What does it say the wind does? It goes where it wants to. Now, when I've told people, here's what I believe the Bible teaches. I believe the Bible teaches that when you're born of the Spirit, you're like the wind. And they say, oh yeah, I know. The wind of the Spirit blows you places. How many of you ever heard that? And I said, no, that's not what it says. It says you're like the wind. What does that mean? Well, what does the wind do? What does it, what does it say? What does the wind do? It goes where it wants to. What's the context in which this is taught by Jesus? It's in the context of perceiving and accessing the realm of heaven. Here's what Jesus is saying. This is going to be hard to believe. But I'm just telling you, I believe this is primary meaning. If you were born again, you have the ability to go into the heavenly realm Whenever you want to, lay hold of what you need and bring it back. But another characteristic of the wind is this. You don't see it. What do you do? You hear it. You don't see it physically, but you actually see the things the wind does. And so here's what I've understood. Matter of fact, years ago, Many years ago, back in the early 70s, the thing I believed about prophetic ministry was I had been baptized in the Spirit. The only time I ever had a prophetic word was when the Holy Spirit came on me with such force, I would just sort of have to shout something out. How many of you know that old Pentecostal way? I'll just have to cut loose. Didn't matter where I was, just cut loose. But over the years, I began to think, well, that's pretty capricious. What I mean by that? Is the only time we can hear from God those rare moments when out of the blue he begins to say something to us or manifest himself to us? And then I, then I began to realize in the New Testament it says, for you may all prophesy. And what that means is you can prophesy and ask God anytime you want to for other people and he will speak to you. 
Now, is it an exact science? Of course not. It's like any other ministry. It's developmental. The wind blows where it what? Wills. You have to exercise faith in your will. And so just like the, the picture of prophecy only coming random moments in my life, and then later I could go into a room of people, and at times I could pray for each one of them and get a prophetic word for each one of them as I went through the room. I've done that any number of times. I believe what the Lord is saying is he wants people who will believe and access heaven for their needs and the needs of other people. But no one has to see you do it. Years ago, I was teaching this, and I said, let's do this. Stick your hand in the heavens, the kingdom of heavens at hand. Let's do a faith function here. Stick your hands in the heaven, lay hold of something for someone, bring it back and release it. I thought that's pretty foolish, but I thought, well, love looks like something. Faith looks like something too. At the end of the meeting, a woman came up to me and said, let me tell you what I did. I said, yes, please. She said, when you said that, my daughter's broke and I don't have any money. I reached into the heavens and laid hold of some money, invisible, non-existent money, and put it in her pocketbook by faith, and she never knew it. And on the way out of the meeting, this happened two doors down a number of years ago, on the way out of the meeting, a stranger walked up and he said, I just feel compelled to give you a check for $250 and gave that girl $250. Where did that $250 come from? Well, it came from that man but why did that man give it to him? Give it to her. It's because in an invisible way that no one saw, that woman accessed heaven by faith, by the foolishness of faith, and laid hold of something for someone she loved and released it to her. And lo and behold, it came to pass. You're like the wind. What does the wind do? It goes where it wants to. Do you see it? No. But if you actually went, you're going to see the results of you having gone, just like that woman did who got that, uh, her daughter got that blessing of the money. Now, verse 13, and then we're going to, uh, we're going to draw some conclusions and do a little bit of ministry here. Living a bilocational life. In verse 13, no one has ascended into heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is the son of man who is in heaven. Now, we we have had a binary concept of heaven in a sense. What's that mean? It's 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 two entirely different, maybe geographical locations. But Jesus came to reveal that there's an aspect of heaven that he continually lived in even while he walked the earth. Now, we would think that's strange, but it's not strange when you listen to Paul's teaching in the book of Ephesians where he says, and we have been raised up together and have been made to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But what does that mean? Well, for years I had people say, well, that's positional truth. Well, what do you mean positional truth? Well, it's a doctrine. Well, what's the doctrine? Well, it's the doctrine of positional truth. That's your position. I said, what does it mean? Is, is there no practical application? I believe it means this. In a very real yet spiritual way, you are, the moment you believe in Jesus, you are seated in the heavens in a place of access that you need to learn how to function in. Romans 5.1 says we have access 
by faith into this grace in which we now stand. That means we are standing in a grace we must still learn how to access by faith. We don't have to work to get there. Andy struck on that this morning. We don't have to do anything to make God care about us. We don't have to do anything to make God um, put us in the place he put us in Christ. We are seated in that place. In that place is the full abundance of heaven. Jesus has called us to pray, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. We have become authorized agents of the kingdom of God simply by virtue of the new birth and the empowerment of the baptism of the Holy Ghost enables us to function at that high level. He has raised us up together, made us sit together in those heavenly places in Christ Jesus. That has got to mean something. That cannot simply be a doctrine or something you teach, but it's got to be something that can be demonstrated and proven, not just a little bit, but in the life of every single believer who can perceive that realm. Got to preach in there, didn't I? All right, let me do a review. Everybody ready for a review? Now, the devil will hide things in plain view. Here's what I mean. I believe the devil has closed off people's minds to this understanding by them simply believing born again, go to heaven when we die. Certainly that's true, but that is not all Jesus said, you have been born again to go to heaven while you're alive. You are seated in that place. You have access. Somebody say access. Why don't we say I have access? I have access. I, I, I have access. I like the way that sounds. Let's say that one more time. I have access. Purpose of the new birth, it enables us to see, perceive the reality of the kingdom of heaven. It enables us to enter, access the kingdom of heaven on a regular basis. We're authorized to go into that kingdom like the wind whenever we want to. We have been born from both places and have been given authority in both places. We may need a revelation like Jacob's. And I pray this morning is that morning for many of us. God is in this place. And I didn't know it. Okay. When Jesus preached the gospel. And I mentioned this earlier. He said the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. He also said the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. Here's what I believe Jesus was saying. He says the kingdom of God is not on one day going to have a grand opening, and they're going to be trumpets and searchlights and and brass bands and bunting and all that sort of thing. No, no, no. That kingdom doesn't come by observation. It comes by faith, activation, and participation. For that kingdom is in 
your midst. I believe God has hidden power in our hands. Why would God say lay hands on the sick? Because he's released power through our hands. Members of his body. All right, let's do this. I want you to stop and I want you to think about a breakthrough that you need and or someone else you love and care about needs. So let's stop and take a second. I want you to identify it. Is everybody with me? Raise your hand if you've locked down on what I'm talking about here. Please participate with me. This is for you. How many of you are born again? You have access. Jacob's ladder lives inside of you. You are both in heaven and earth at the same time. You may have never realized it, but that's what the Bible teaches. So here's what we're going to do. Let's stand together. Identify that breakthrough right now. Just, just say, I am looking to see such and such happen. Just say that. Put it out there. Now, if it's too personal, don't say it real loud. Okay. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. How many people here have hands? Faith looks like something. Faith looks like, it means you do something. Faith looks like something. Okay, let's do this. The kingdom's at hand. Let's do this. Reach into the realm of the heavens. Intentionally identify what you are after. And say, in the name of Jesus, let's pray together. In the name of Jesus, and by the authority granted to me through new birth, I lay hold of that provision now in Jesus' name. And I release it by faith now. Now, just release it. Release it. Now, how many of you are in need in the room of physical healing? Raise your hand. Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. I want people to gather around the people with their hands up because we're going to do that very same thing. We're going to release healing and miracles in the name of Jesus. Notice I'm not laying hands on anyone because this is something we should all do. Wave at me if nobody's laying their hands on you. Okay, come help us, folks. Somebody come over there. Father, in the name of Jesus, we release to our brother, to our sister, healing virtue, the power of God. Healing come now in the name of Jesus. We break off every sickness, every infirmity, 
every lie of the devil, every false conclusion, every single thing at war with these bodies, these minds, these souls, we break now in Jesus' name. We break cancer off of Janet Hale and anyone else within the sound of our voice. We break it now. We release the life of God, the life of the Spirit of God that knows no bounds. We release by agreement that which is in your heart, Lord God, to touch, to heal, to deliver. <clears throat> we release finances. We release businesses that are, that are stuck. We release relationships that are in ruts. We release people uh, from false concepts, false ideas, false thinking. All those things that war against our mind. We release the power of the Spirit. We release an impartation of faith to change our minds. To believe God for the impossible. Oh, in Jesus' name. How many of you felt God touch you this morning? Wave at me. Wave at me. We won't hear any testimonies too later. But God bless you folks. So glad you're here. How many of you learned a little bit more about what you can do and who you are? Yeah, and I'm going to be very honest. That was not an application of the scripture. I believe it's primary meaning. I believe that's what Jesus meant from the very beginning. We're born again. To do what he did, to perceive that realm, to access that realm, and to minister the power of heaven to everyone we meet. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.